everybody, and welcome back to another edition of This Week in Innovation. Today, I have Steve Wynn from Dre uh, Alliance to talk to us about what's happening in shipping. Hey, Steve, how are you doing today? Good. Hey, Jen. Uh, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Feel free to introduce yourself and tell us about your company and what problem are you solving? Definitely. Happy to. My name is Steve Wynn. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Dre Alliance. We are a startup uh, based in Long Beach, California. Uh, our office actually overlooks and oversees the entire port of Long Beach. How we got started is I'm a first-generation immigrant from China. My parents, after immigrating to the U.S., started a warehousing business, and I grew up in a warehouse helping family with getting appointments with port terminals, talking to freight folders, ocean liners, exploration waters, so really in and out of warehouses. And then during college, I majored in computer science and finance. And I started a bunch of business while I was in college. I eventually paused and decided I want to quit and what ended up doing full-time in, in building companies. Uh, one of the companies I built was an e-commerce company. And after that, I decided I want to go back to what I'm passionate about, which is understanding how supply chain actually works and delivering shipping containers to people that need them. And that's the, the high level of what we had built. Before starting this company, I ended up actually spending two years building a traditional truck company with trucks and acid and drivers. I was the day dispatcher. My co-founder at Dread, Jason, was the night dispatcher. It was the it was very brutal to run a small business with acid and then learned a lot from the trucker's perspective, the customer's perspective, and remedy experience at that time. And really, the result is a platform that we built that are friendly for drivers and help them build their business in the port logistics industry. Uh, called Dreage. The process of Dreage is describing this great containers from uh, a terminal, a port terminal, to warehouses. I usually know as first mile, last mile of the national freight. The way to think about the platform we have built today is it's like DoorDash, but imagine each person, each consumer, instead of ordering one, one food from one restaurant at a time, they're ordering hundreds of them every single day, and we're helping them manage that process. So we work with companies that are large retailers, e-commerce giants, and very large importers of brands that ship electronics towards mostly Fortune 500 companies. So what point, let's say, since we, we tend to talk a lot about retail, at what point does a retailer start with you? And then when do they finish with you on, let's, I don't know, an order or, or a container? Walk us through what that means or what that looks like. Yeah, that's a great question. Most of our customers are enterprise, meaning they have existing processes and partners in other segments splashing. When we get our order, usually it's when a computer has left the port of origin somewhere in Asia. And then we would get an order with a big spreadsheet or, or integration to our system that says, hey, here's 100 containers on this, uh, on this ship, and here's 200 containers on that ship. Why don't you help me start tracking that? Let us know when it has arrived. Update it on uh, every single milestone that these containers have achieved over time, and I want them to be delivered as soon as possible or specific days. And we would manage the entire process one day, going you know, from discharging, unloading from our ship to the port terminal, all the way to securing drivers, delivering that container full of goods to the warehouses of choice. A lot of times these are 20, 30 difficult warehouses of their choosing. Now, are, are those warehouses fairly close to the port? I, I spent some time at Merv and one of our, one of our main distribution centers w was in Hayward and stuff would either come in Oakland or in probably Los Angeles. So how far do you take it? Or how far do the, these containers go before you're done? Another great question. 
This is actually something we're seeing real time changing. Even five years ago, I think the average trip of a, of a container from port is around 30, 40 miles. Whereas today, due to the rise in e-commerce, these warehouses getting bigger away from the ports, we are seeing our average that has double in terms of distance. And we are seeing more direct deliveries from the port directly to a warehouse in Solid City or Las Vegas from Southern California. We actually have regular lays to Edward as well from the Port of LA Long Beach. So a lot of times these are ranges in the distance, but the, the theme that we see is that because warehouses has largely became fulfillment centers for e-commerce, they're not only cross-stocking facilities anymore, they're actually using it for storage. And because the size are getting bigger, that, uh, bigger and it's necessary because almost all real estate and reports are very expensive. So we're seeing these warehouses get pushed out for it. Yeah, the word warehouse is a bad word for retailers. We don't want to, we don't want to, we don't want to store anything. We want to keep it moving. So I'm not sure I've heard the word warehouse anymore in retail anymore. Interesting. So you're done once that container goes to whatever receiving facility and then you're done. You've released it to the, the retailer or your client and then, and then off to the next one. So the service you're providing and then is visibility into that, in, in where that container is and then so you're actually also orchestrating the drivers that are picking up these containers. That's right. We, on the, on one side, we have a management sort of control tower platform that helps retailers and shippers and customers get visibility of their freight and their containers that are incoming or, or exports that are outbound. On the other hand, our platform has a mobile app offering for small businesses, truckers that work around the course. Currently, we have a couple thousand carriers on a platform that use our app on a day-to-day basis to ship, to manage deliveries and use the our algorithm and bundles that we have created to deliver more effectively and efficiently for their own businesses and build them. Historically, this segment of trucking and, and truckers are very much underserved. There's a lot of practices that are no longer legal in this segment, but that historically that caused a lot of bankruptcies. They don't they haven't received the best attention in helping building their businesses, which we also see a lot of fragmentation in this industry as well. Most of truckers also want to three trucks. So our goal is not only helping shippers get visibility, but orchestrating that delivery so that everyone's better off. I've spent a, a lot of years before joining the analyst world in the logistics piece of it, but thank goodness I never had to worry about the piece you're talking about. It, it's almost a black hole to me, as is it to a lot of technologists. So uh, can you help us understand why that last mile of, of delivery of containers is so difficult? What it, it, Obviously, it just hit the news uh, to, to everyone. Literally, my, my, you know, my neighbors are talking about supply chain, and I don't think they could have spelled it two, two years ago. Why is it so difficult? What's happening? And what compounded these problems that we're all dealing with right now? Let me try to summarize. The, the short version is that a lot is broken almost every single segment of supply chain. But to summarize in a more intentional manner, let's focus on two things. One is fragmentation. The next one is lack of transparency. For example, just let me describe how Deliveries are done. Every pickup or a container is these pickup appointments that are limited at the course across 12 different websites. We need one website for, for one term. And each warehouse that's being delivered for every single delivery also needs an appointment. So that needs to be matched 
almost never mashed perfectly without help of, of data. And the way that we went out is similar to an airport pickup, but it is happening much bigger scale. This is imagining you have to pick up 300 people all at once, and everyone needs a different call, uh, go to different places. So it's very difficult to manage because all these agencies and, and exceptions, whatever, the different conditions of the warehouse. So it's not like delivering somebody home where you just open the door and enter. A lot of times warehouses are not manned, meaning no one's working, they're locked, or they're not just available, there's no space to put in additional computers. So all of that needs to be planned up front. And that could create a lot of constraints for delivery. And then second, um, what they is a lot of times today, these computers, once they're delivered to a warehouse, they are dropped at a warehouse facility, meaning they're parked at a dock, a loading dock, and then the driver leaves and pick up that container days later because the warehouse does not have that space or anything that can happen. They're just not available to unload that at the moment above. So that's like dropping off a bed box, but always having to pick it up later. And again, happening at massive scale, thousands, tens of thousands of containers that are being allocated from Horton Box every single day in Southern California. So all that complexity, adding in all the classes be offline. And the only online process are emails. There's no standardization, and most drivers today are still offline. So we're just getting started, putting people online, getting access, understanding where they are, what they want to do, and having more data transparency in this entire process. But before we existed, it was just like you described, Jeff. It was a black hole. No one really knows what's happening here today. Uh, a lot of this entire process based on networks and relationships and different layers of broker. So I'm, I'm glad one thing, one similar line of the supply crisis is that everyone now understands how this works and this is something that needs to be fixed. Yikes. This was the process that had been going on, I don't know, probably what, for 600 years or a thousand years, however long ships have been sailing the sea. Obviously in the last 10, 10 or 15 years, the volumes have increased dramatically as imports from China and Asia Pac have increased dramatically. Why did it all of a sudden get so bad? I'm sure COVID's going to pop in here and it'd be a big driver, but it just seemed like it, everything hit at the same time. If we didn't have COVID, would we have had the hiccup that we had last Christmas? It, most folks don't know because it's not newsworthy, worthy, but actually this happens almost every single year to a lesser extent at the U.S. force and really every force in, in the world. We are, I think, our generation, or largely this generation, has taken shipping and container shipping for granted. Before the Senate, container shipping didn't really exist. This is this part of supply chain and ocean shipping meters, which caused the sudden increase in, in the quality of life for everyone in the world, but also complexity in supply chain. Really is a pretty recent phenomenon. This is unlike FTL trucking, full truck load trucking, interstate trucking, where it has been a steady job for generation is, you know, all the way back to 1900s. This is actually very recent, and there's changes that's being happened to manage the complexity. So one thing that before 2015, the U.S. force didn't have a appointment system. Meaning everyone similar to taxis just wait in line for the next container, which did a really work that will help. 2015. Like it up to 2015, truckers were literally, wow, okay. Waiting in lines. So now that we introduced all these new systems and APIs that are available for, for integration, but not there's not enough technology platforms and technology companies being built in the space where that is being leveraged. We're one of the 
the fastest growing platforms in this industry using the CPEC stack to help modernize this part of the supply chain. But 90, 98% of this industry is still offline and literally lines of people, you step into a dispatcher's broker's office, just lines of people on headsets, managing 12 different websites, sending emails, managing spreadsheets, and talking to drivers, everything. I, I I don't have words for that. Wow, 2022, and we're still doing that. I are things getting better, or in shipping, or worse? Oof, um, it's a hard question to answer. I think in the next couple months, we're going to see the container shipping should be worse than what we've experienced previously because the whiplash effects from more orders being ordered up front, and then now the COVID situation in China causing factory shutdowns, making the entire global supply chain more unstable. When that happens, we see U.S. shippers and U.S. consumers ordering more because they're worried about shortages, um, especially with the upcoming holiday season later this year and back to school in September. So the latter half of the year is when volume picks up. We're still seeing ships waiting off to post, so that's not really getting it. That doesn't make me feel good about where we are currently because the normal thing that shouldn't be any ships. So I would say in the short term, in 2022, it doesn't look like ocean shipping and container shipping is going to get better for it, at least in the U.S. and Pacific side. Maybe we're going to see some easing starting, you know, later at, later at high time. So maybe let's unpack that a little bit. What's actually happening in the container shipping crisis and how it, we kind of asked that, but let me ask it a little more bluntly. How is that different uh, from 2019? So what's happening in this crisis? Actually, very similar to 2019, 2020. 2019 is, so the shipping world works in uh, a specific seasonal pattern. And everyone around the brain works in that pattern every single year. So it doesn't deviate much year over year. When we started to see more challenges was during the, when, Trump was president, we're seeing the trade war happening. That disrupted, started to disrupt some of the trade patterns. And then rolling on COVID, that completely changed how shipping patterns worked in the, in the world, which most people don't understand how complex and dependent each process is on each other. It's a very complex system itself. And I would say nobody in the world really understands the plenty. Everyone understands a little bit, and they, that's the whole supply chain, but it's really that whole supply chain. There's no way to understand the, how changing one part really moves everything else without touch. But the, what really happened is the demand for goods is much higher from U.S. consumers. And that came really quickly and really fast. So the demand surged in the short term, and we were not good at managing that type of surge in, in consumers' demand. And coupled with COVID hitting at that time where U.S. workers were getting sick in the warehouse, so have a shortage, which has continued for completely different reasons now, but still there's a shortage in warehouses slowing things down. Meaning warehouses are 100%. We're seeing some warehouses be under 30% full. And what that causes containers after being picked up from port to deliver warehouses be stored for longer outside of warehouses. And there are these things called chassis that are the wheels of containers that are not part of the computer. 
But when a container is stuck in a warehouse, no one has the equipment to move the container off of the chassis, which means now the chassis are being held hostage under a container at these warehouses, and they can be returned. How supply chain, inbound supply chain works, of course, is that these chassis are a shared pool, a shared resource. When there's regular inbound and outbound, we're fine. There's always a, a steady in, inflow and outflow of chassis we use and not use, fix, and that beam that was broken. With no chassis to pick up containers from the ports, there are more delays for containers to discharge and get out of the port. You will see we had truckers in the beginning and I'm waiting for two days in line for chassis to pick up a beer that they can see right there. But they couldn't because there's no wheels attached to the container to move them. So that becomes a cycle and, 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 and works itself in a negative reinforcing way. And here we are today, still in that cycle. How many different issues are wrapped up here? Probably at least what COVID, volume two, warehouse space three, chassis four. There's other things that I think, I think that the Federal Rate Commission put to, which is the feature wise. Oh, and at least some of the chassis, they're, they're not late, but it comes. And but there's talks of, of not the power there that are being concerned. So, yeah, a, a bunch of these are all market to part supply chain prices. What needs to change to prevent this, this problem from occurring again? I really hope I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> I do too, but <laughs> I don't think you are. Let's talk about changes. I think yeah. looking for uh, there are ways to prevent it. And it comes into two forms of physical and digital infrastructure. And physical is in creating more right now. One big problem is that the two major ports that can unload the, the post-Panama container ships, which are the largest one today, and we'll eventually get to everyone moving to these type of ships, housing 10,000 or plus on a single ship. TU means 20 equally unit, usually are the measurement for containers. So this 10,000 means 5,000 to 10,000 containers on one single ship. The US doesn't have infrastructure to unload those containers areas before. Uh, we should, but we don't. So we need to create more ports that are available simply to unload those containers. I- I'm sorry, you said create more ports. That seems, that doesn't, is that, po- is that possible? How do you change that? We have ports, but they do not unload. Okay. Things. So add uh, infrastructure to existing facilities to handle. Right. And the second is digital infrastructure. So we, we have established a great work in how to work without ports, appointments, unloading the schedules. There are efforts, yeah, automation, of course, but it's important to create a digital infrastructure that allows everyone to share data. Imagine a world where a port knows what's the percentage of capacity that a warehouse has. So instead of directing that container to be unloaded now, maybe another container should be knowing how much space is outside of the port. Most containers, instead of going to rack warehouses today, there's usually a stop in between that are storage units, you know, a stop off for a container to be stored until the warehouse is ready to receive. There are also things like Shipping patterns. When does a ship arrive and which port terminal could create changes to what color boxes can be brought to different terminals? And there's a lot to navigate there as well. Currently, that changes every couple of hours and it's being posted on a website and no one's being notified of that many changes. So you can have a feed box that can only return to terminal A and no one tells you, but hey, while you're driving to the port terminal, that changed. Terminal A no longer accept that pink box. Now you have to drive back. 
So a lot of that still happens today. And it comes in the form of just getting better and sharing data early and be, be more accessible. One thing that we've done that the one should be doing, but I understand it's difficult without digital infrastructure, which is a thing called dual transaction. What that means is reusing the chassis. So when a trucker goes back to a port terminal, always aligning and making sure that the trucker can pick up a, another container at the same port terminal in the same transaction. Instead of having the trucker wait, you know, at a different terminal for two hours, getting in line and pick up a you know, way for a center chassis. Currently, we're doing about 75% of our transactions are done this way. Every time that happens, it saves CO2 emissions, saves waiting time, and it brings reliability up for, for customers so that customers don't have to constantly shuffle and reschedule their receiving hours and receiving all every change that happens makes it more difficult to plan a next like of delivery. And I think overall, it's just letting everyone do what they're good at. If truckers are really good at deliberating and ensuring their trucks are up, you know, up to date and they're fixing them over the weekend, they should be doing that and not worrying and talking, talking with, to customers and trying to schedule deliveries. So somebody else should be doing that for them and making sure they're not being taken, taken advantage of. When, when, when they should be get, when they are supposed to get a pay, payment every single week, they should. And these are just basic things that are not happening in this industry. That's probably a good place to ask you what you, what your company does. It sounds like you want to put yourself right in the middle of that mess and bring organization. So maybe unpack which, what you do now. We have a better understanding of this craziness that you're trying to solve. What do you do? What's, can you use a couple of customer examples of, of how you're going to clean some of this mess up? Yeah, I think what we are trying to do is to onboard as many large enterprise customers as possible and help them manage their freight so that we can apply technology to every process uh, and work with port terminals and those people that are owning and operating physical infrastructures to make smarter decisions and see us as a pipeline that pipes data everywhere. And what we do is we take a percentage of transaction from the efficiency to create. So most of our transactions are like, Uber pool. We're matching drivers together with the best possible route and decisions, not automatically. And we're working with the port terminals through integrations that we can automate these processes of setting the right appointments in the right time. What can we warehouse to set an appointment at the right time? Increasing the reliability of deliveries so that there's less work that are being done that's not necessary to be done. So there's less mistakes and everyone get their things online. And we're trying to replicate this model from LA and SoCal to all major reports in the U.S. and eventually the world. And then connecting the world from uh, a, a digital and data perspective, port to port and port to driver and warehouses. Are you optimistic you're going to get it done? Yeah. Yeah, we're making really good money. I'd be disappointed if you didn't say yes. So long, what, couple of years, hopefully we'll, you'll have your platform that would just, if, if you just... Your big saving, the big, big savings are going to come from the truckers that are, can just get in and out faster because they're not in queues because they know the window for them is whatever time frame. So there's a big savings there, obviously, probably a big environmental savings too. I can't imagine living around all these trucks sitting around everywhere. So congestion, the the enterprise customers have better visibility in where their stuff is. They can plan. Uh, the warehouse folks can figure out if they're spacing. Do we need to go to third shift today because we've got this big load coming in, which is a person that used to run a, a distribution center. I, I can't imagine what a nightmare this is, not knowing what staff you need to process all that freight. So you're bringing some 
eyes into a problem that hasn't had eyes at this point. Yeah, we're making good progress towards our goal, but the industry is massive. Although we're moving very fast and growing very fast, we're, we've grown from 30 people to 130 people today in, in one year, last year. The company is about four and a half years old, raised about $50 million total. And now we're moving a few thousand containers every single month for some big customers and still growing about you know, 300% every single year. So making good progress, but barely touching the surface. Fantastic. Hey, as we wrap up, I have a couple of questions for you. Since looking at your bio, I think you've always been a startup person. You had a, a, a real job for what, about six months, and then you've been creating businesses. Actually, even sounds like before you, were, you, you even graduated. So you might be the perfect person to ask this question. What advice do you give for young entrepreneurs? If it comes down to one, I think start a business because you want to start a business, but do, do it because you uh, want to solve a big problem. That really matters to you. What skills do you use now? Do you wish you would have paid more attention to when you're back in college or at the early, early part of your career? You're still early in your career. Let me, okay. let's, let's go back to college. What, what, what are you doing? What do you wish you would have paid more attention to? I wish I, I paid more attention to maybe on response. And it's very current. So this is every stage you're building a company different skill sets that are required. And I think our, in our current stage, one thing that I wish I knew more, learned, have learned more, is marketing. Because we've done a lot of it, but not enough people know about us. Yeah, and for our listeners, your undergrad was in um, computer science. And yeah, I, I could see why you, you probably missed all that. You probably, when you were trying to crunch code, you weren't really thinking about all those fun kids, all that fun time in marketing classes. Steve, thank you so much for your time today. I wish you the best of luck. I think every consumer and every retailer is hoping you become amazingly successful. And we don't go through what we did in, in 2021, but it sounds like 2022 we might. So good luck. Thanks, Jeff. That was fun. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. For more info, refer to the pod notes below. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a five-star rating and review. It really helps us grow. I'm your host, Jeff Roster, analyst at large. If you want to connect, follow us on Twitter at JeffPR or at Brian Sathanation, or connect with us on LinkedIn. Visit my website at roster.retail.com or brians at Until next time, stay safe and have a great week.